starts with the ordinary, everyday, typical stuff. The common stuff that we too often take for granted. We don't have to look far in Scripture to find that God does some of God's best work with the ordinary, everyday, typical. In Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, God starts with nothing more than God's own self. And from the void, from the very nothingness, God brings forth light. Followed soon after by water and sky, land and sea. And scripture continues that the Lord God took dirt, dirt from the land, and formed a human form, a person. In the very dust of the ground, God forms this human form and God breathes the breath of life into this form. God breathed God's own spirit into this, this dust, this dirt became a living human being. I'm Pastor Jess Horsley, and I welcome you today to our worship as we consider how God is using the everyday, average, ordinary, typical stuff to do the extraordinary and miraculous. Here in Scripture, we read about what could be this metaphor, this metaphor of what it means for God to form humans, us, you, and me. And mostly it reminds me of how we humans are both humble and supernatural in our origin. We are made from the dirt, the very thing that we walk on every day, and yet we are God-breathed. God's divine ruah, God's spirit and breath is in each and every one of us. God uses the common, ordinary, everyday things to do the extraordinary. Over the next two weeks, we are going to explore what this looks like. Explore how God uses everyday, average, ordinary things in our two sacraments, communion and baptism. Over the next two weeks, we will find how God uses three ordinary things bread, wine, and water, and changes, transforms these things from simple and ordinary to spectacular and extraordinary. Now next week, next week we are going to consider how God uses water to wash us and to welcome us into the family of God in the sacrament called baptism. This week we begin our series with how God uses bread and wine to feed us, to forgive us, and to bring us into community in the sacrament of Holy Communion. Now first, first we need to rewind to the First Testament book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible. And here we read about the Israelites, God's people, and they have been enslaved and they have been oppressed in Egypt for over 400 years. There's Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh who is the pinnacle of Egyptian power and privilege. And there's Moses, his adopted cousin, who is an Israelite. And then there's God, God who desires for the enslaved Israelites to experience, to know what God desires for all who are oppressed, which is freedom and liberation. Now here, if you remember here in this story, there's murder and Moses flees and there's some learning, there's a, a wedding and a, a burning bush, if you remember 
Maybe you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, or the animated feature, The Prince of Egypt, or maybe Ridley Scott's Exodus, Gods and Kings. If you haven't read the scripture, I encourage you to do so. But here, Moses returns to Egypt and he delivers the famous line, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? Pharaoh says, no. And then there's plagues. And during the last plague, it's during this last plague that the Israelites mark their door frames of their homes with blood, with the blood of a lamb. Blood, it's another of those ordinary, everyday, typical things. It's inside each and every one of us. It's inside every animal and fish and bird in all of the earth. And blood here is an act. In this act, it symbolizes life. It is a sign of salvation. The Israelites mark their doorframe with lamb's blood, and they are protected from the angel of death the angel of death, which passes over their homes. And from then on, in remembrance of God's saving ways and their liberation from Egypt, they commemorate, they celebrate Passover. Passover, this remembrance and celebration that becomes ritual, a practice within the Jewish faith, a way to reflect upon and remember the covenant promise that they share with God, a God who saved them, who set them free. Okay, now, fast forward. Fast forward to Jesus and his disciples. They too practice Passover. They too celebrate Passover. We sometimes forget that Jesus and his followers are Jewish. And we read about one particular Passover meal in all four Gospels. In Matthew 26, in Mark 14, in Luke 22, and in John 13, There is a particular meal that we read about. It is often referred to as the Last Supper. When Jesus gathered with his closest followers in the upper room and they share this meal the night before Jesus is betrayed and he is arrested and turned over to the authorities to be crucified. And it's during this Passover meal that Jesus shares bread and wine. Two ordinary, average, typical things. He shares this with his closest followers. And in doing so, Jesus makes the bread and the wine, these ordinary things, he makes them extraordinary. Hear these words from Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, verses 17 through 19 and 26 through 28. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat Passover. Jesus replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says my appointment, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your home. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It's here in this scripture passage that we observe Jesus himself taking part in this event, this ritual meal that would become a new sign, a new symbol of a regular occasion or practice for those who would call themselves Christian, Christ followers. This 
this sacred act now celebrated as sacrament. Now, throughout the ages, this sacrament has been known in many unique ways by many different people. In the first century, Ignatius of Antioch called it the medicine of immortality and the antidote to death. In the third century, Cyril of Jerusalem said, when the bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ, diffuse with our own, and we partake of the very divine nature of God. In the fourth century, St. Augustine of Hippo said, the sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward spiritual grace. In the 1200s, Thomas Aquinas wrote that each crumb Each crumb of bread and every drip of wine hold the entire presence of Christ. In the 1400s, Julian of Norwich believed that our mother Jesus nurtures us with his very body through this sacrament, like a nursing mother to her beloved children. In the 1500s, Martin Luther declared the belief that the very presence of Christ is in and with and under the elements of bread and wine, a sacramental union of the two. And later, in the 1700s, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, shared that God's unconditional love is experienced at the open table, where any and all who seek to know God and grow in holiness are welcome to receive the bread and wine. Now I share all of these as it's important to note that different Christians have different understandings about what this sacrament is, what it means. Now in the United Methodist Church, we have four different names for the sacrament, each unique and accurate, each helping us understand and believe. First, We recognize the sacrament as this holy mystery. This emphasizes the mysterious works of the Holy Spirit who is present with us, whose acts are witnessed, both seen and unseen. And second, second, we call this sacrament the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that this is not my table. This is not the pastor's table. This is not the church's table. This is not even our denomination's table. This is Jesus' table. Jesus is the table host. And what does this mean? Just like we witness in the Gospels, it means that Jesus eats with everyone. The Lord's Supper is open to all who wish to receive. And honestly, this is one of the reasons that I am Methodist. An open table means that no matter what, no matter where you have been or where you are going, what you have done or what you have not done, what you believe or what you do not believe, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender or nationality, your education level, your sexual orientation, no matter your social status or your ability, no matter what, you are welcome to receive the bread and the juice. You are welcome to experience the grace and the love of God at the Lord's Supper. Third, third, we recognize this sacrament as Eucharist, a Greek word meaning thanksgiving. In the Eucharist, we give thanks to God for God's mighty acts, 
for Jesus' life and death and resurrection, for the forgiveness of sin and for the life everlasting. And finally, finally, we most often call this sacrament communion, holy communion. It helps us to focus on the communion, the connection, the community, our relationship to both each other and to God. God, the one who makes this experience an occasion of grace. God, who affirms for us a connection to all people everywhere throughout all time who receive the bread and the juice. Now for you worshiping at home, I encourage you, I invite you to find a United Methodist Church near you. To find a church near you and to worship on the first Sunday of the month. Traditionally, communion is served every first Sunday of the month in the United Methodist Church. Our Christian faith is meant to be experienced in community. For we worship a God who lives in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Participating in this sacrament through community, it is a life-changing experience. And it can only be experienced in that community, in connection with other believers and with God. My hope is that you will receive God's grace and love in this way. My hope is that you will open yourself to this holy mystery that you will attend the Lord's Supper, that you will be present at the Eucharist and receive Holy Communion. I believe, again, that the experience is life-changing. If you let it, if you believe, you will be transformed. I want to end today with a quick story. A number of years ago, when I was serving as a student minister, I was leading a confirmation class, uh, mostly eighth graders, And we began to discuss the sacrament of communion. And one young man with an overactive imagination, whose family had only recently returned to church, they did not attend regularly, they were new to our congregation, and he had an awkward, if not interesting, question. Um, Jess, um, so are we like vampires Since, you know, like we eat Jesus' body and we like drink Jesus' blood. And a number of students began to chuckle or laugh. But one, one young lady in particular, who I will never forget, with a smile on her face and confidence. Confidence brought about by her faith and her relationship with God said, you know, no, we are not vampires. But if you think about it, It's like what our parents have always said. You are what you eat. (laughs) Now, it sounds a bit funny. And yet, in this sacrament, when we open ourselves to this holy mystery, when we attend the Lord's Supper, when we are present at the Eucharist, and when we receive the gift of Holy Communion, in communion with other believers and with God, Christ becomes a part of us of you and of me and of all who receive it. And we, we in turn become Christ for the world. So may you, may you experience the sacrament, hoping not only for your spirit to be fed and nourished, but that you, that you might be for the world, Christ Jesus.
May you be one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. A world that right now needs more Jesus. May it be so. Amen.